that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. Thanks, everybody, for coming here to see Pop the Question doing a live podcast. This is a rare occurrence for us. Wait till it's over. (laughs) Um, Before we get started, though, we want to thank, well, one, Philly PodFest for allowing us to come back. This is our second year doing it, and it's such a pleasure to work with them. They're so cool and awesome. Um, And they do a lot of really good work. This is the seventh uh, year that they're doing this, which I just find so incredible because it's hard to do seven of anything. So we wanted to give a shout out to Indie Hall and Tattooed Mom and National Liberty Museum, World Cafe Live, New Media Touring, Fireball Printing, Everything is Awesome, uh, OB Media, Philly Banner Express, Tea House Screen Printing, Bridge Set Sound. Um, They all come together to make this podcast festival happen, and that's really exciting. And, you know, we love coming to Tattooed Mom in our off time. Uh, So to do it for work is pretty awesome. So... Uh, Pop the Question is a pop culture forward podcast out of Drexel University's Pannoni Honors College. Um, We talk about all things popular culture with kind of an academic but not too snooty bent to it. And uh, this time for the podcast festival, we're talking about the Beatles. I don't know how many people know them uh, in this room. Maybe it's niche. I don't know. Maybe we're discovering something new today. Um, But go along with us. joined by three people who did something really stupid with me, and that is to listen to 211 Beatles songs within the span of a couple of months, essentially be kidnapped by John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Um, And we rated them based off of our favorites. I think we learned a little bit about them, a little bit about us, and everything in between. So we're going to talk about the why, what, hows, and like what the hells uh, of that type of deep dive. So I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves, starting with Julia, and I want you to say your name. Uh, And also, if you were to classify yourself as John, George, Paul, or Ringo, who would it be? I didn't tell them that I was gonna ask them that. Uh, So, pop quiz, hotshot. Hi, I'm Julia. I feel like I am a Paul, even though I don't want to be. (laughs) So, I've always wanted to be a George or a Ringo, but I am a Paul, and I think I just need to, like, own it and say that I'm a Paul. (laughs) Sorry. I think we'll get to that later. Uh, Next. Uh, I'm Kevin. I think similarly to Julia, I think I aspired to be a George, but I think I'm a John. I love John, and I think I, I don't know, I think there's something about his uh, idealism and musical experimentation that I would aspire to if I were musically inclined. All right, fair, firm but fair. Uh, I'm Brock. I also aspire to be a George, but luckily I actually am a George. Because, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, mostly because I'm the quiet one who everyone thinks is like really mysterious and deep, but then you realize actually, no, not that much. Uh, and you'll find about all that and more during this podcast yeah, taping yeah. of Pop the Question. Are you going to answer this question? I don't aspire to be a George because I'm different, um, <laughs> which probably makes me more of a John, I think, that answer of just, I'm not. I don't know. I feel like, I, I think I'm probably a John. I have a lot of feelings and very few outlets. Um, and... I do a lot of idealist uh, crying, but I don't do any research to figure out what the facts are to my angst. Does that satisfy? Is that fair? Okay. So I'm going to say what I think what happened, and you're going to clarify, no, that did not. Okay. So in January, we were at your abode, and I feel like you said you know it would be great, is listening to all the Beatles songs. Uh, that does not sound like <laughs> me, actually. And rating them, uh, creating an elaborate list, a ruse, if you will, and uh, just doing this, this project. I, what do you remember of that moment? This is like, we should have like a Thin Blue Line style reenactment where the scene <laughs> changes over and over. Um, I don't really remember having that conversation, but I believe that it took place. I feel like <laughs> at a certain point, I was listening to Let It Be, which is not like my go-to Beatles album, but and I thought, like I should listen to the entire Beatles catalog again, and maybe we were discussing that, and then the ranking idea came around. Because you've done this before with other bands, right? I have. Actually, yes, and now I remember I walked in and said, Abbey Road, anniversary, and you were like, it's Let It Be. And I was like, cool, different album, um, which indicates why we should do this project. Yes, I did do this with a, a couple of friends of mine. We got together and we did Velvet Underground, uh, the first three Danzig albums, because why go further than that? And then um, I feel like there was like another one that we did, but I can't remember because it's... One of those things that is very haunting and you never want to do again, but then end up doing it. So I think we were like, this is a kooky idea. And then we decided to do it. And then we kept telling people about it. Probably a cry for help. Um, Every, everyone was so interested. And I don't feel like our tone was one that really warranted that interest. But yeah, people were, were really into the idea of joining in. Kevin, Julia, how'd you get indoctrinated into this cult? I think that... Yeah, I think you were talking about it at lunch. And I do feel like I remember there being like a certain level of like exasperation with it. Like you were just like, oh, I don't know what I've gotten myself into, but Tuner Loving Songs. And I was like, oh, I like this band. I'm going to do this. I'm in. I think it was similar. I think we were on a walk home. And yeah, and I was just really interested in like, one, can I do that? Because I didn't, I don't know. It felt like a lot, and it sounded really cool. So all of us, though, I think had, like, a base knowledge of the Beatles. My base, I realized, was at a, like, second-grade assembly where they forced people to dress up as the Beatles and do, I think they lip-synced She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and I was hooked. It was my first drag performance, and I loved it. Um, and then from there, discovering, like, Eleanor Rigby, because I was a girl in 12 at one point in my life, and then, like, the one singles came out, and then, like, the, like I was listening to a lot of John Lennon, because I am John Lennon, um, and, like, ad nauseum as, like, a 14 or 15-year-old, but I think you all have different experiences with, like, discovering the Beatles at a different point, 
So like, what is your base of knowledge before starting this project? Uh, you know, I tried to actually think of like what my earliest Beatles memory was, and I, I can't really find one definitive moment, but as I sort of associate being a young person, being aware of the Beatles solely through eight days a week, which kind of explains why I didn't really get that big into the Beatles until I was like in college, because like, I mean, that song's fine, but it's like kind of the worst, like if you pick like the worst popular early Beatles song, it's probably that one. So I didn't really start listening to the Beatles. Shots fired early. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm going to say a lot of, there's a lot more controversy coming, everybody. So I sort of skipped the Beatles when I got big into like classic rock or dad rock or whatever you want to call it. In high school, I was always more of a Stones guy. But when I was uh, attending Indiana University, they offered a Music of the Beatles course, which I took along with like the entire rest of the university. Um, and so I was kind of forced to like listen to their whole catalog and really like get into it and learn a lot about it. So that was kind of my defining Beatles moment. I think that I initially thought that it was when I was in high school when the anthology albums came out. And I was like, oh, why do people like this old band? And I was like, angsty teenager Kevin listening to like Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana and being like, oh, this is foundations of rock music, whatever. These guys are dinosaurs. Um, but no, it was actually further back than that because I, I was thinking about it and as I was listening doing this, uh, remembering that my mom had a lot of the vinyl and that I would listen to it on like a little Fisher-Price record player when I was, I mean, I had to be, I don't know, I mean, maybe like five or six, but I had a very clear memory of the song Mr. Moonlight, which by no other reason is ranked very highly for me because I, like that, I heard that and I was like, oh my God, you know? And, and you swaddled yourself. I did and I cried <laughs> and I rocked back and forth and listened to it for 24 hours straight. On <laughs> the night you don't come my way We love you, Mr. Moonlight. Mr. Moonlight. I, I just wanted to cut in, and in case people aren't aware, Mr. Moonlight is pretty widely regarded as being the absolute worst Beatles song. So no, that's, this is a not, bit of a, that's not true. It absolutely, what, what, what it absolutely the is. The Brock Report. Uh, <laughs> That's who rated it. They had the, the Beatles themselves so, actually came out of the. It's like right before. Yeah, John Sorry, Lennon. Guys. John Lennon apologized for it. Uh, to be fair, it is a cover, so it's not totally their fault. But I mean, yeah, it's it's generally. I'm sorry. Every, it doesn't look like you're sorry. You're saying has, it, but you don't feel it. Well, we all have kind of contrarian opinions that I think show on our list a little bit, which is kind of the fun, and that just happens to be yours. So it's true. Um, I remember listening to the one album a lot growing up with my um, my sister and dad, primarily because I think it was something where he knew that we can relate to like it was easy the you didn't have to know the words you just could clap along to it it's very clappable um so i didn't know a lot of the words but i did know how to clap so it was a lot of use. um and yeah once that is the best i just want to cut in that is the best thing that i want to see on like an album review clappable it's like it is so clappable i don't know any words five out of five clap. claps yeah for sure um, so yeah, just like I, I think in elementary school, just hearing like the same songs over and over again of like, I want to hold your hand, like a lot of the very cheesy beginning Beatles songs, I guess. 
Yeah. So in looking at 211, and I don't remember, Brock, like why we, we just chose what? Like the songs that came out on an album plus singles? We tried to do the entire discography as best as we could get it. So it's all of the studio albums, the UK versions, uh, with the exception of Magical Mystery Tours, which we're doing the full US album version, which has since kind of become the dominant version. Uh, and then the two Past Masters collections, which collects the non-album singles. We did not do the like 1996 reunion songs uh, because they don't count. And they're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> Free as a bird would have been my number one. <laughs> So my method for doing this was just to listen to every album and then rate within the album and then add more albums to that rating because I'm not a scientist and I don't know how to do this type of research. I don't know if everybody else had different methods or what. You and I, I think, kind of independently came to the same method, which is listen to an album, rank the songs on that album, and then when you're finished with an album, sort those songs into your master list. And that was really helpful because it kind of gave us kind of a maximum and a minimum. So your work, for me at least, I was working within that framework of like, my favorite song from this album is here, my least favorite is here, all the other songs are going to fall within the rest of this category. And I think, I don't know if you guys use the same method or not, I think, I think we tried to like maybe give some tips on how we were doing it to try to make <laughs> it a little bit easier. But we also wanted to be cool. Like, yeah. we didn't want to create, like, a strange framework. for. We wanted people to, like, go in. But I feel like we all kind of did the same thing intuitively. Kevin, you look yeah. like maybe Well, not. I think I did the same, but I think the only, like, slight twist, and I think maybe I'm only realizing this now that we're, we're talking about it, is that I probably, if I loved the album, listened to it multiple times. And I think that that meant a heavier weight for those songs as I was plugging them into the list. So I think that I would listen to, like, Revolver, spoiler alert, I love Revolver, um, like a lot. And then I'd be like, okay, I gotta get to some of the other albums. And then, then it would sort of fall off as it went on. And I feel like a lot of those albums that only got one listen, a lot of those songs ended up at the bottom. You, you also didn't work chronologically, right? No, I, I was I did. I, I started at Please Please Me and then, yeah, okay. I think I did the early stuff last. I think that might have actually probably been the better way to do it is to not go chronologically because... And then you get something like Mr. Moonlight at the top. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe not, I guess. Empirically, that was the wrong way to do it because I was the idiot's choice. We all take our own journey. Um, so I don't know how we want to do it. Do we want to go like individually through people's lists or do we want to start with... All... The... <laughs> do we want to do an interrogation the routine or are we interrogating ourselves? Three hours is just us reading a list. No. <laughs> Listen, that is the podcast that I live to be in. Um, I don't know. Do you want to do individually or go like through the group list? Uh, I'm curious what people remember. I don't know who's looked at the data. I have it all in front of me, so I, <laughs> I'm cheating. I mean, I roughly remember what my favorites were because my favorites and least favorites were roughly unchanged from like my preconceived notion of the Beatles. I don't know if that was true for anyone else. Uh, but I don't know if people remember what their favorites were and want to... I mean, yeah, I don't know. Do you remember what your favorite was? Uh, I believe something is my is my number one. That is correct. Is my number one song. <laughs> you know yourself. And then beyond that, I think Eleanor Rigby is up there. Ticket to Ride is up there. She's so heavy is up there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It gets fuzzy past that. One thing too about the process is that um, I I did zero post list compilation tinkering because I knew that if I did that, I would still be doing it today. So, like, once songs were on that list, it was, they were not moving. And I think I was, if not alone, I don't know if, Mel, I'm pretty sure you tinkered a little bit. I listened to my 
playlist at least, like all 211 songs at least twice or three times. Um, which is why it felt like a kidnapping. And then eventually I was like, no, no more. I'm walking out of this building. You have lied to me. I don't have to do this anymore. And that's how I treat most of my projects. Um, but there was like a point where I realized like, I can't do this anymore. And then it was like really just about like, am I really going to sit and move this one line up? Because after the second time, like the, the first time I listened through, there were a lot of changes. And then the second time I listened through, there were less changes. And then it was just like, I'm not going to tinker because 64 should really be maybe 63 because I could do that all day. But I, that, yeah, I did it. I listened to that over and over and over again. I had to stop. I also kept pushing my deadline back, which is like me, but with book club and everything. There also wasn't a strict deadline. I know, but it, there was an internal deadline <laughs> that I kept pushing back because it did feel very much to your point of like every day your preferences would change a little bit and things would change and I just had to do a strict cutoff because... Yeah, I felt like I tinkered because there were like MC Escher like impossibilities on my list. Because I would go back and look at it and I'd be like, this is my 10th favorite song, but it was my 12th on this album. Like, how's that possible? Mm. And then I would have to reconsider if I understood numbers or anything or rankings. Because <laughs> I just apparently just threw it in. Um, so I played with it a lot, I think, until then I sent it off to you all. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. This is, this is dead to me now. I feel like we all hit a saturation point where we just sent stuff to Brock. Like, I'm done. Yeah. And he was like, I did not ask for this. Please stop yeah. yelling at me, ma'am. <laughs> um, so in terms of the number ones, Brock, yours was something. Julia, you've got to hide your love away. Uh, Kevin, tomorrow never knows. And mine was I want you. Um, those, was, are all, those are all really good songs, you guys. Yeah. Way to go, us. And that's, pretty it. that's why we did this, was just to feel congratulatory. Um, were, did those start as your favorites, or were those ones that you... Kevin, I feel like yours was one where you like started, like, this is definitely going to be yeah, my number I knew one, that and that it was never changed. 100%. That's been my favorite song since I've started seriously listening to them in college, and I loved that song. And I mean, it's, it's probably one of my favorite songs of all time, so I knew that it was going to be the number one from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know for sure that something was going to be number one, but it was kind of like... Uh, I feel like, for me at least, with every band, there's like that one song that you're like, that is kind of your doorway in. And something was that for me, which I don't know why exactly, because the lyrics are kind of terrible, honestly. Uh, but there's something about the tone. It's a really good guitar solo. The production, I love the production on Abbey Road. I know a lot of people don't. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my entryway. So I didn't necessarily think for sure it was going to be at number one, but I had a pretty good feeling that it was, that it was going to be. Don't wanna leave her now. You know I would leave her now. Yeah, I think similarly, I think the top five were the hardest for me because I knew what I really liked, but I feel like each song kind of, it felt like you were choosing between your favorite pets of like, they all had, I don't know. I don't have a pet, but if I were, if I had five dogs, but, but no, it felt like every song in those like very top, top five, top 10 gives you a different feeling. So it was kind of, 
it, it wasn't my immediate first choice, but I think after listening to it over and over again and like knowing that song, Hide Your Love Away, for such a long time, I think it just, yeah, it stuck. Hey, you've got to hide your love away. Like after this list, I had never really listened to the Beatles before, and that's something that I discovered along this journey. Was like, huh, I don't know any of these songs. So I went in with like, I don't. I, I mean, I kind of had a feeling that um, the songs that I would probably be most embarrassed to be my favorites would be my favorite, like Eleanor Rigby, which seems very like hackneyed in a sort of way, would be like my favorite, but it wasn't. Um, it was definitely, I think, up there. But I was shocked when I was like, I want you. This encompasses all of the things that I hate about the Beatles, but that I also love about the Beatles. So that's it. That's that's the thing. That's part of the existential crisis, I think, of doing one of these lists is just kind of like reckoning with yourself and your own like taste um, and being kind of taken aback by like what you like when you like see it all on a page. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us were prepared to have to admit that Paul is probably the most important member of the Beatles because <laughs> no, I mean, no one really wants to admit that Paul is their favorite Beatle, uh, but and I don't think he was any of our favorites. But Wait, can we just see a show of hands? Do, who is? Do people love Paul? Do we have how many? Is that your favorite Beatle? Who's there's, your favorite? There's one definite hand and one that is uncertain. <laughs> one that is looking around the room, hazy. Yeah, I feel like you know, Paul is kind of like Hufflepuff, where like no one wants to be in House Hufflepuff. All right. Uh, most people don't want to admit that they're Hufflepuff, but like secretly, like Paul is actually. So we averaged out the the rankings, and I don't want to jump the gun into like favorite Beatle or whatever, but just just to get right to it, Paul was the of our average list. He was the the best Beatle. I'm really sorry, but he is. Well, it was Paul, John, George, Ringo. We preferred covers. <laughs> Over group. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I found funny was that Kevin preferred group over Ringo. Well, they Because both... I would rather have him not participate. That's, that's two barely. credits each, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. So there's two group compositions, which are both instrumentals, and then two Ringo songs, one of which is a masterpiece, so I don't... Which, which one? Octopus's Garden. Uh. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. And then as our group, and I realize now that Brock did the numbers and I did not double check these numbers. So uh, surprisingly, something becomes the number one track between us all. Yeah. Even I, though as I look down the list, I'm like, wait, son, I don't think Julia has it in her top 10 at all. Top 20, I think, for me. I think, yeah. So I, <laughs> I so did. So what I did was just use my list. A note about the numbers. Um, <laughs> I do not come from like a numbers background, and I don't want to tell anyone how I compiled these numbers because I'm worried someone who does know numbers is going to be like, you did it definitely the wrong way. This makes no sense. Uh, but there was some averaging. Um, I, I got some numbers that people enjoyed looking at. And really, isn't that the goal? Yeah. 
<laughs> I was just excited that I didn't have to do anything. That I got an Excel spreadsheet yeah. the next day at work and just was like, oh, cool. Well, it this was is what kinda, I'm going to do for an hour. It was kind of fun boss. to tinker with. Uh, I was a little surprised something ended up as at number one, but I do think it kind of lands in everyone's top third at least. And then beyond that, like, I thought I Want You was going to be a lot higher. And Kevin and I were talking about this just before we sat down. But uh, he actually ranked at, like, 114 or something, which he cannot, I mean, you know, you can speak to your feelings about that. Why do you hate music? But I was surprised that was not higher. That, I, 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 don't, I don't know how that happened, actually. <laughs> there was, I think, a point where I just sort of blacked out and it just became like, I just got to start filling in some of these cells. And it just, I think it just slipped down there. Yeah. I feel like that happens. There were a couple songs. I was listening. I was re-listening to it, to my list, and there were a couple that were, like, down in there, and I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, you got to stop because this is a whole new... This is a whole new problem. I will say, I would love if we had surprise guests of like Ringo Starr and a statistician who came out and was like, I checked your methodology. And actually, Ringo is number one. And then this yeah, became like a big gotcha that, to yeah. us. He's right here. Ah. Yeah. Uh, the second one was, and something didn't occur on your list in your top 10 at all, Julia. Yeah, I think it was like 17 for me. <laughs> I know that number because I immediately checked it after everyone was like, something is top five. And I was why, like, why, why is that? So why do you I hate over, George? <laughs> I don't hate George. I want to be George. And I know I'm not though. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. I am a Paul and I am a Hufflepuff. So <laughs> this is all making a lot of sense. Um, but uh, I think I over listened to something. I know that that sounds really bad, but I feel like Something used to be really high up there, and I think I just oversaturated myself, and I think that's why I put it lower. But I feel like maybe after a year or so, I'll get something out of something, and it'll be higher. <laughs> You'll get something out of something? Yeah. That's another thing for behind the like album cover is like, clappability, something out of something. <laughs> How are you digging the Beatles so far? You good? Liking it? cool. Well, we're gearing up for season three, and we've got some really exciting stuff planned. Comfort TV and Captain Picard, fashion and memory, tailoring to the stars, even some Wheel of Fortune. If you want more of Pop the Question, you can find us online at popqpodcast.com. You can find all of the episodes we've done thus far. You can pitch us your ideas. Maybe you have a Godzilla episode you want. Maybe you want to talk about cats. Let us know what you want. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PopQuestPod. And since you're listening to us already, give us a rating. Submit a review. Let us know what you think of us. Please, for my journal. Danke. So we have something, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, A Day in the Life, Eleanor Rigby, and A Hard Day's Night as number five. When I looked over this list again, I was like, I mean, we didn't really discover it. Like, it just feels kind of like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I actually... We're not the hipster kids, I think, that I wanted no, us yeah. to be. As much as I try to be a contrarian, like, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of the expected. Like, these are the Beatles songs everyone loves. Um, you can argue, certainly over the ranking, I think A Day in the Life is generally considered the best Beatles song by a lot of people. I don't I don't I think I ranked it very high because I actually don't care for that song very much. Sorry. Uh, so I'm probably the reason why it's not even higher. Um, but like yeah, these are all really like songs that you're you're not gonna be mad if they if they happen to come on. But I'm kind of mad that they're on the list. Which ones in particular? I feel like it just it feels like to me like a 
I mean, like Eleanor Rigby, A Hard Day's Night, like they just yeah. feel like ones that are like so obvious that they shouldn't be, like that you would be like, oh no, actually it's going to be, well, now that I'm looking at our top 32, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kite was number one. We've discovered that it's like the best song yeah. after all. That's what? what I was hoping for this list. But I think that what we've discovered is that like maybe the best song, like our favorite songs are a favorite for a reason. And I think that's the thing that people tend to forget about the Beatles. And I think, you know, a lot of people mentioned compilations being like their memories and that was what they listened to is, and it's not entirely their fault because they're part of the reason why albums are a thing in rock music. But like, there's a lot of bad Beatles songs, especially on those early records where it was like, whatever we just need, just get 12 songs out there so we can ship it. It's fine. No one buys albums. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I, I don't know how many people are like, I'm going to listen to the entirety of With the Beatles today. <laughs> I mean, I do that because I actually really like that record. But like, and you you're know, a nerd. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I think people stick to like those, the red and the blue anthologies or like the Beatles number one or like the love soundtrack or whatever. Like, I think people tend to reach for compilations. And I think there's a reason for that. And our list kind of bears it out that a lot of these like hit Beatles songs really are really, really good. And then maybe the other ones are less good. Yeah. Would you say that some of these are really informed by our nostalgia for like how we entered into it? I don't want to get like too like Bordeauxian here, but is it like through the, the lens of like, these are the things that we most likely listen to as like young people and have stuck with us beyond just like looking for, like the aesthetics of a song or like the history of the song or the, the I, impact, like this uses a moog. Yeah, for me, like I, I feel like my feelings about the Beatles haven't changed from that giant lecture hall where we listen to all the songs together as a group. And so like the first time uh, I heard It Won't Be Long was like in that room and I remember like being blown away and just thinking it was so, so good. And most of those initial like gut feeling and responses that I had to those songs are the ones that I still have to those songs today. They really haven't changed very much for me. Yeah, I'll say for me with like with Tomorrow Never Knows being my favorite, like that was also, discovering that was a specific moment in my life in college and listening to it like on repeat. Like I, w I had an 8 a.m. class my freshman year and I would go to that class, come back to my dorm room at 9, put my headphones on, put that song on repeat, go into like a trance-like state and fall asleep, and then somehow I would wake up with five minutes to go before my next class. And I would do that every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, my first, <laughs> my, my first semester of college, like a crazy person. Um, and it just would put me in this like very relaxed mood, and as I learned more and more about what that song was about, I was like, oh, okay, this is supposed to be like replicating an LSD state, okay. This is like listening to Bette Monks chanting. And then I think, Brock, you sent a really interesting video clip talking about how revolutionary that song was in terms of using sampling and tape loops. And like Rick Rubin was like really like going on about how amazing and innovative that song was and then other artists talking about it. And then listening to that and how they, they talked about how that was used and then thinking about other artists I've liked since then and the songs that like really mean a lot to me. I'm like, oh, now I can see a trajectory of why that song resonated with me, still resonates with me, and somehow informed all these other bands that I never would have thought had 
would have been impacted by that singular song. For for you, especially as somebody who loves like punk and um, and punk and hip hop, like that song is, I think, really interesting considering mm-hmm. the ways in which that is an era of Beatles where it's like really clearly trying to break from something and to like start a weird patch of like, hey, remember the Beatles? Well, we're no longer that. Um, and then like also incorporating like sampling and stuff in in ways that kind of make sense for how you like what genres you go to. Yeah, and I was, I mean, as I was reading more up, like after we did this, because I, then I got really interested in like what was behind more of these songs, that was at, I guess, at a turn in their career where they, they had stopped touring. They weren't doing live productions anymore, live shows. And then they were going to studio just to basically do music that you couldn't do live. And that to me was like mind blowing and weird. Because they were like, you can never do a song like Tomorrow Never Knows live, because it's all distorted sounds cutting tapes, winding them around the studio. And I'm like, that's interesting that a band would make that decision. But they could, because they were huge. Yeah. It sounds like more of a reason of like, ah, guys, I can't get together. We can't do this live. So I'll see you like never again. Bye. Um, Which is a move that I I love the pettiness of the Beatles individually. And that shows in my lists as well. Uh, Julia, what's your deal? I think Help the Movie was like a very big part of a childhood memory of like watching that on VHS like over and over again. And Hide Your Love Away is in, I believe, in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Um, That's correct. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was very concerned it wasn't. Um, but yeah, just kind of like that, that the, the intro to, to kind of having that the Beatles being like a home, like a home feeling of like, I listen to this with my sister and my parents, and it's something we can all relate to. That I think going on to like high school and different places and college, listening to the Beatles brought up a lot of like, okay, I'm not home, but I'm home in some way. Like I am listening to this, and maybe other people in my family are, and it felt like a very connected thing. And I think that was the beauty of the Beatles, is we didn't have a favorite Beatles song, like all collectively, as we also don't have a Beatles song. But I think they're very connective in that way. Like people can find ways of connection through kind of their life's work in some way. Yeah, I feel like my list is, uh, they were mostly things that took me by surprise. Like, I think the top two of I Want You and Don't Let Me Down were things that I never really paid much attention to. And then you have something like um, like Hey Jude and Helter Skelter back-to-back, which, like, I remember listening to as a lot. And they they also foster into my love of, like, the wall of sound and, like, chaos kind of breaking um, and a lot of... So, like, them kind of tying into these other things that I... Like, that connectivity that you were talking about of just, like, kind of connecting into this world that I had built uh, out of either songs I was listening to in high school or songs that I discovered in college that I realized I really loved and realized that as I was doing this project, it was more of, like, an experimental entity. Um that I found really interesting. I think, and along those lines, one thing I thought was kind of, I mean, I already really loved Abbey Road. I like Let It Be less so. Um, But sort of reading up on the contemporary reaction of those albums is how much people thought didn't really love them at the time and thought the production was not good uh, and thought that it was too polished and too shiny. And it's really interesting to think, like, that's kind of the sound of... 70s rock music (laughs) and as as much as i like to like argue about the beatles being that revolutionary with people i mean in that sense they were really kind of 
they knew what was coming and broke up at the right time. <laughs> uh, were there any like things that um, you discovered about yourself along the way of this journey? Maybe it was that you could do a 211 song listening project in a way that you did not think of, or maybe it was an existential crisis. For me, it's discovering I loved Ringo, um, which I had formulated a lot of my identity around saying that I did not like Ringo, and then just like the numbers don't lie. That was my favorite part of doing this whole process, <laughs> was you having to realize that Ringo is your favorite Beatle and is statistically your favorite Beatle by a very wide margin. In fact, you, you rank Ringo higher than any of us rank our favorite Beatles. I can't, so not only, I can't reiterate enough that you did these numbers, yeah. and I should maybe get an actual statistician to do because now that I'm thinking about it, you made that happen, bro. Um, yeah, you know, I think when I was actually listening to it... Uh, there were two things that happened. Like one, I was actually listening to it and I realized that his songs were like the most fun and they were like this bright spot to like kind of a lot of garbage. And then two, um, like as I would listen to these songs, I would go to the like Wikipedia profiles and look at what was happening. And it just sounded like that Ringo was sitting at the studio just waiting for people to stop fighting so that they could do their job. And I was like, God, yeah, that sounds great. Like I... I love Ringo. Like, I just, so I would hear all these stories about him just kind of knitting or like doing, just hanging out or, and just imagining this world in which Ringo is the workhorse for this band and just patiently waiting so that they can just make music. Um, and so I, I really understood Ringo at a more philosophical, uh, existential level. And I think I might, I might be a Ringo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, Nothing super surprised me, although it's always, I, anytime I listen to the Beatles, I have to remind myself, maybe you don't hate Paul McCartney, uh, because I generally start with the assumption that I do. But all my favorite Beatles records, well, my two favorites are Revolver and Abbey Road, and those are, those are the records where like Paul is really consistent and really strong. Uh, and then the Beatles records I don't like very much, like Sgt. Pepper's, are ones where I don't like Paul's contributions, so it's sort of like... If I'm, if I'm in sync with what Paul is doing, I'm going to like the record a lot. And if I'm not, then I won't. So Paul's kind of the barometer for me, even though he's not my favorite Beatle. I mean, yeah, great Paul is great, but like mediocre Paul sucks. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> what would be mediocre Paul? I actually like what the other, rest of the band would call Paul's granny music. I actually like a lot. <laughs> so I feel like for a lot of people, it's probably like When I'm 64, or Maxwell Silverhammer. But I actually like those songs. I don't know. Penny Lane is fine, I guess. It's like, it's a little twee. It's like very sweet and kind of, you know, whimsical. And I don't really, Boo, I don't really love that. Yeah. 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 I understand that because I feel like he smiles all the time and that's why I hate him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I, but I get, but I also really like, it's just, that's on me. That's not on Paul, but like, there's just something about his exuberance he's and enthusiasm. Little, he's a little much sometimes. It's like, yeah, like, oh, sure. let's get the accordion gang. Do, 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 <laughs> no do, one do, asks do. for the accordion. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I think that like Paul at his peak is like really great. And I also love a BOGO. So all of his like, let's smash together two songs and make it one. I'm all for, which comes through in my list of like, sure, let's have Helter Skelter be like two, three, four different songs and like all have them be together. Were you guys surprised by anything, Kevin? No. <laughs> I mean, I think, no, I mean, really, I think I, I knew what my favorites were going to be. I knew what my favorite albums were. Um, I think maybe I was surprised that some songs fell a little bit lower than I would have expected, but then it's like I realized just how much I was committed to certain 
certain songs and certain sounds. Um, I mean, I, I guess that Paul slightly eked out John as a on my list was a little bit surprising, but probably because I'm guessing he like at some middle tier had a lot of like a good heavy run for me. I, I think John really suffers in the overall rankings because he. Uh, and a note about songwriters. So we had to draw a distinction between John and Paul songs. We didn't have to, but we did. Because uh, obviously they're all credited to Lennon McCartney, but there's always a, a dominant songwriter. And usually it's whoever's singing, although it required a little bit of research sometimes to figure out who actually was the primary songwriter. Uh, so we did draw that distinction. And I think John was kind of, he was definitely the principal songwriter in the early days, which means he was writing a lot of those filler songs to put on the back of albums. Uh, and so I think that Paul, who wrote, only slightly fewer songs overall um, ended up really kind of benefiting from becoming more prolific in an era when they were expected to make every song on an album good. And Mediocre John is just trash. It's bad. It's not great. I mean, he was third on my list, and by like kind of a whitish margin, I mean, Ringo is definitely up there. Um, but just thinking about like the really bad song, because I think he just he just gets really lazy and it's really clear. And like my worst song, which is the like, you better run for your life, little girl, like the misogyny just really comes out in a way that's like not fun for me. I think you reacted really strongly to like a lot of the misogyny and a lot of the insecurity of John, whereas like run for your life is definitely problematic, uh, but I kind of like it as a song. Well, this is the thing, because I usually like John, and I was thinking about this, where I feel like as a like as a, an adolescent lady listening, like you can flip the script so that the anxiety is geared not not toward a lady, but toward a dude. So like it's just like, yeah, you better love me, or I'm gonna get you, um, which feels really on brand for like a 13 to 15 year old girl. But like when you keep saying like you better run for your life, little girl, uh, that's like you can't really divorce. You can't really make that and, like, get it. And I also don't know why you need to add the little, except for maybe just a filler. Like, it just, there's, like, something, well, there's a lot threatening about it. He's saying he's going to kill you if you leave him. Um, Little girl. I, I can forgive John for a lot of stuff because so much of it you can kind of co-opt, but with some songs, he makes it very clear like what his what his aim is. Is, is it worth noting too? Because I don't know if we said this that like the ranking of the individuals based on the is based on the writing credits, right? So it's not like we went into the musicianship either necessarily. Maybe this is my salvo for being like, I actually like Ringo. Yeah, because I think his drumming oh. and so many is is the best on some of my favorite songs. Yeah. Like what? I mean, I, I think that the way that he does the drumming and the way they inverted it on Tomorrow Never Knows is great. I think I'm just going to keep going. It's actually the only song I know. Everything else I just randomized. All 200 uh, was that song. And really, I thought I was watching a James Bond movie when I put it on, so I didn't understand anything. I missed the assignment. Um, no, but like that, um, uh, Come Together, like I think the drumming is fantastic on that. Um, I mean, just in general, I like the, his, his work on, on, uh, on Revolver, but I think he's like solid throughout. And I think that like, George Harrison's guitar work is phenomenal. Um, yeah. I, I actually 100% agree with you that I think Ringo is kind of the punchline uh, of the Beatles because he didn't really write very much and he's kind of just a sad sack. But I think 
as a musician and as a technician on his instrument, he's certainly more vital than John Lennon was as a guitar player. Arguably more vital than George Harrison as a drummer or as a as a guitar player. And I think you can sing a lot of Ringo's drum parts, which is not something that you can say about a lot of drummers. Like, I mean, one of the reasons why Ticket to Ride is one of my favorite Beatles songs is strictly because of Ringo's drum beat, which is fantastic. And he's very unusual and nobody else really sounds anything like him. kind of sleeper maybe I Paul is definitely I think the VIP but in terms of like their individual instrumental uh, achievements I would probably put Ringo at number two for sure do we want to talk about our least favorite yours is Mr. Kite yeah so you and Kevin should maybe talk about that. Is yours least favorite uh, no that's like one of oh. your it was it was low mine was um wild honey pie oh yeah yeah um to me, it wasn't hard. It was really easy to put that song as my least. Is that where you started? No, I knew I was going to end there, though. <laughs> I didn't know I was, yeah. No, just because um, that song annoys me. Like, I, listening to it, um, I, I think it was, in across, it was in the movie Across the Universe, but also just I remember any time it would play on the radio or just at all, I would actively avoid it. Um, I'm not sure why. There was maybe it was too. Whim- I, I like a whimsy song, so it, and it is very whimsical. But, you don't have to love this song, but I know. yeah, I don't love it. I hate it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I hate that song. <laughs> yeah, so that zero class. Yeah, zero, zero. ability. <laughs> Yours is wild honey pie, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, no, that is also zero clap ability. Yeah. Just like screeching to me is not, it's not good. Yeah. It's a terrifying song, sonically for me. I think if, if I was surprised by anything, it's that Glass Onion isn't my least favorite Beatles song. Now it's really close, but I hate that song so much. But I do apparently prefer it over a lot of the crummy B-sides from Past Masters. So there's that at least. I think mine is, uh, yeah, mine is the one where John wants to kill a lady. Um, it's just, I Which feel like one? I, I really, <laughs> well, sometimes he wants to love the lady before he kills her. And I feel like that had enough whimsy for me at the time where I could let it go. But yeah, I just, I like, that came up really early and I tried really hard to be kind of cool about it, but I could not. Um, it was just really terrible for, for me listening. Um, would you do this again? <laughs> I think it was like a good challenge. I would, I, I feel like I'm happy it was with the Beatles. I'm curious to, to see what my interaction would be like with other bands. Um, so I would, yes, do it again. I do feel like it was consuming, but also in like a good way. Like I feel like I learned a lot. It was fun. But also letting it go and just letting the list be what it's going to be. Let it be. All right, that's it, guys. That's where we're going to end it. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be.
I tried to join you on the journey, you and Brock, for the Led Zeppelin one, and I just, I stalled out. Um, I think I just kept listening to When the Levee Breaks, and uh, couldn't get past that. Um, I feel I think like it, that's it. That's it, all you really need. Yeah, I think it, what it made me realize is if I were to do this again, I think it would have to be um, a band that sonically changed quite a bit over its career, where I felt like there was real differentiation and that it would that I could really dive in and like trace their trajectory by listening to lots of different music that they were doing. Um, so it would have to be, I would have to be a specific band for me to jump into this again. Yeah, I mean, I think you're dead on. So Mel and I actually did it with the band and we did finish our Led Zeppelin lists. Uh, and the band I, I like more than the Beatles, um, but it was harder to do because the progression is definitely one thing. As much as I love the band, all their stuff kind of sounds the same after a it while. It all sounds the same. Yeah. So the Beatles... Are I did not <laughs> enjoy it as much. <laughs> the Beatles are kind of a perfect storm for this because uh, it's a self-contained, fairly self-contained short era with a man manageable amount of stuff. Uh, it does progress a lot over time. And you also get diverse songwriting perspectives and voices, which I think is maybe actually like the big secret is everyone's sort of... There's defined personalities within the band that influences their material, so there's a lot of different kinds of stuff, even on a single album, that you can kind of enjoy. And even if you don't like whatever throwaway song from Please Please Me, wait two minutes and 30 seconds, and there's going to be another burst of joy coming that you can listen to, and maybe you'll like better. Yeah, for me, I love doing lists. I love lists of all kinds. I read the book of lists, backward and forward, whenever we had them. Um, so I'm always down for a list. Uh, some are better than others. The Led Zeppelin list that Brock and I started, I, I actually enjoyed, although like I realized that I don't really enjoy them, um, which is a good, I think, experience to have. And that's why I like doing a project like this, is that you really begin to understand your own interaction with these bands, as opposed to just like, oh, I really like this one song, and therefore I like them. Um, you really get to reckon with yourself and the musicians as you're going through this process. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll probably do this. I will probably do this again, whether you all are with me or not. But I hope you would. Um, and that being said, this is our time for Pop the Question. Uh, we got to wrap it up and go. And we appreciate all of you all for coming and hanging out with us and listening to us wax on about the Beatles. Yeah, come chat and talk to talk about the Beatles with us. I, we have tons of statistics and Excel spreadsheets with us if you want to see the actual breakdown. So thank you all so much for coming. And thank you guys for doing this. The Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our audio engineering and theme was produced by Brian Kantorik. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paul Morans cohen and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. Practice, man.